the world created by God for a purpose, filled with people that God loves, people that he created to have a relationship with him, and yet, because of sin and rebellion, they've been separated from God, enslaved in darkness. They've been held captive by sin. The world, filled with over 7 billion people, People that come in all shapes and sizes, who speak a variety of languages, who are different colors, who have different customs, who live in different places. Some live in places of lush greenery. Some live in places of desert wasteland. Some live in places of frozen tundras. But what really separates the people of the world is not where we live, It's our access to the gospel. Statistics tell us that there are over 6,825 unreached people groups. That represents over 4 billion people. A people group is unreached if less than 2% of the population of that people group are evangelical Christians. 6,800 and 25 unreached people groups. Of those, there are 3,126 unengaged people groups. Those unengaged people groups represent over 200 million people. Now, an unengaged people group is, is a people group where there is no church planning strategy consistent with our evangelical faith. Many of those unengaged people live in dangerous places. They live in difficult places. They live in hard-to-reach places. That's why they are unengaged. And yet the Bible says that God wants them to be engaged. And I want to be up front with you from the very beginning. You see, we are a church that believes that That God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. We're a church that believes that God's will is for all people to be saved. To come to a knowledge of the truth. We are a church that believes that, that God so loved the world, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And because of that, We believe that the gospel should be shared with every single person in every single place around the world. So as we wrap up this Christmas series that that we've entitled Ancient Stories of Christmas, I want us to look back at the very beginning and discover that God's plan was that the gift of Christmas would not just be a gift to a nation, But it would be a gift to the nations. That God's gift of Christmas would not be just a gift to a family, the family of Abraham. But it would be a gift to every family on earth. You see, God's gift of Christmas was not just a gift given to the Jew. It was a gift given to the Jew and the Gentile alike. To every single person on the planet. Now we see this somewhat in 
and God's call to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God called Abraham out of a pagan nation and God said, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the nations. And we discover somewhat from that that God had a plan, God had a desire, that God was going to bless Abraham and through Abraham, God was going to bless the nations. But how was that going to take place? Well, we discover that very clearly in Genesis 22. And so I want to invite you, if you haven't already, to open up your Bibles to Genesis 22. And I, I want us to unpack this story, a, a story that is very familiar to many of us. And yet it's a story that I feel like we often overlook the significance of what God is actually saying in this story. Because as we unpack this story, we discover that there are three significant truths that once understood will impact each and every one of us. Now the first thing I want you to see in this story is an example of piety. And we see this in verses 1 through 8. So I want you to read it with me there in your Bible. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, he saddled his donkey, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he carried, or him, he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering for my, my son. And the two of them went on their way. Now, let me say from the beginning, as we get started, that some of us have developed a negative picture when we hear that word piety. This is an example of piety. When we think of piety, we think about someone who is self-righteous, someone who is judgmental, someone who is spiritually arrogant. But, but you need to understand that the word simply means devotion to God. And as we read this story, we discover that Abraham is an example of devotion to God. As a matter of fact, Abraham is an example of complete devotion to God. He was devoted whatever the cost. Now I want you to notice what it says in verse 1. It says God tested Abraham. Now some translations, and maybe the translation you have, has the word tempt there. But that's not the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is nasa, which literally means to test. And there is a big difference between tempting and testing. 
Sometimes we may have trouble distinguishing whether something is coming from the devil or something is coming from God. But here's what you need to understand. A temptation is a demonic device to defeat us. But a test is a divine device to develop us. Temptations are sent by Satan to bring out the worst in us. But tests are allowed by God or are sent by God to bring out the best in us. Satan wants us to stumble, but God wants us to stand. One gives us the choice to do wrong, while the other gives us the chance to do right. And so the Bible says that, that God was testing Abraham. Now understand, Abraham had waited a hundred years for Isaac to be born. Now Isaac was somewhere between 16 years of age and 25 years of age. He was the son of promise. God promised Abraham from you. I will make a great nation and, and your people will scatter throughout the entire earth like the sand on the seashore. And yet here's Abraham, an old man, and he has one son. And now God says to him, I want you to take this one son, this son of promise, and I want you to sacrifice him to me as a burnt offering. Now why would God... Ask Abraham to do that. Well, the reason is, God wanted Abraham to show that, that he was placing everything on the altar. You see, God wanted to see if Abraham was totally committed, if he was completely devoted to the Lord. And that's what God wants of each and every one of us. God wants our devotion to him to be complete. He wants our devotion to him to be absolute. When Jesus was, was here on planet earth. He made some radical statements. About his desire for our devotion. In Luke 9 verses 57 and following. Jesus said this. It says as they were walking along the road. A man said to Jesus. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Radical statements. In Luke 14 verse 26. Jesus said. If anyone comes to me. And does not hate his father. His mother. His wife. His children. His brothers. His sisters. And yes. Even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. That's a radical statement. Luke 14 verse 33. In the same way. Any of you who does not give up. Everything cannot be my disciple. Those are radical statements. And yet what Jesus was saying is, when you follow me, I want your everything. 
You see, Abraham was in danger of loving Isaac more than he loved God. He was in danger of loving the gift more than he loved the giver of the gift. And you need to learn this about God. God will never willingly let anything take first place in your devotion other than himself. God does not want to be a place in your life. God does not want prominence in your life. God wants the preeminence in your life. So here's the question. Does God have the preeminence? Are you willing to sacrifice anything and everything on the altar for Jesus? Because you are loyal to him and you are devoted to him. Do we love our families more than the God who gave us our families? Do we love our comfort more than the God who has allowed us to live in comfort? You see, no matter what God has given us, no matter what God has done for us, we need to ask ourselves, do we love God, the one who has given us these things, more than we love the things that he has given us? Now, if you think that you're in danger of loving something more than you love God this morning, I want you to listen very carefully. Because if you are a follower of Christ, then you're going to hear the voice of the Lord this morning saying to you, take that one you love to Mount Moriah and offer them there to me. You're going to hear him say, take those possessions that you love to Mount Moriah and offer them there to me. You're going to hear him say, take those ambitions, those plans, whatever it may be, to Mount Moriah and offer them there for me. You see, God did not want Isaac's life to be Abraham's main loyalty, his main devotion. God wanted Abraham's complete loyalty, his complete devotion. Now, we are told that, that Abraham immediately obeyed. The Bible says early the next morning, he left with Isaac and his two servants. You see, it's, it's not just how deeply you love God that matters. It's how quickly you obey God. Now, let me explain something to you. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. If we believe something in spite of evidence that is contrary, that's foolish. Faith is obeying in spite of circumstances. That's what faith is. It's trusting God and obeying God whatever we see. Now, this is what amazes me. When God told Abraham to take Isaac, there's no debate, there's no discussion, there's no defiance, there's no delay, Abraham goes. When God puts Abraham to the test, Abraham simply went. He didn't ask for more information, he didn't ask for clarification, there was no hesitation on Abraham's part. He immediately did what God told him to do. So what about you? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to give up to be obedient to the Lord? Where are you willing to go to be obedient to the Lord? What are you willing to give to be obedient to the Lord? Who are you willing to share with? Who are you willing to love to be obedient to the Lord? 
Some of us have this idea that God will never call us to to difficult places or God will never ask us to do difficult things, but that's ridiculous. The things that God most often calls us to are difficult. And yet we know that he is with us, that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. And so in Abraham, we see an example of piety, complete devotion to God. And so here's what I want you to ask yourself this morning. As we prepare for 2016, what about your piety? What about your devotion? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to do without? Where are you willing to go? Because you love the Lord more than anything else in life. Because you're more devoted to Him than anything or anyone else. So the first thing we see is an example of piety. The next thing that we see is a picture of Jesus. Look at verses 9 and following if your Bible is open. It says, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac. He laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord... It will be provided. Now, as we look at this story in Genesis 22, we see in the story that Isaac, in many ways, was a picture of Jesus. Isaac was a child of promise. Jesus was a child of promise. Isaac was born miraculously. It was not a virgin birth, but but let me just say, if your dad's 100 and your mom's 90, that's pretty miraculous. Amen? So Isaac was born miraculously. Jesus was born miraculously. But that's not all that we see that is alike in the two. Isaac was 16 to 25 years of age. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us he was 25. If he was 25 years old, he was at the height of his strength. Now, Abraham was an old man now. If Isaac is 25, Abraham is 125. If Isaac wanted to, he could have told his dad, you're not putting me on that altar. You're not going to slay me. You're not going to cut me. You're not going to let my blood flow. But what did Isaac do? He humbly and willingly submitted to his father's will. He let his father tie him up. He let his father lay him down on the altar. He let his father pick up that knife 
ready to thrust it in and kill him. And yet he did not raise himself up to defend himself. Now, how is that like Jesus? Well, the Bible says Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. The Father gave him a task. The Son willingly humbled himself, came to earth, willingly submitted to the Father's will, willingly was beaten beyond recognition, willingly was nailed to a cross. When the Bible says at any time he could have called down a host of angels, and yet he didn't. Jesus willingly went to the cross for us. But that's where the parallel stops. Because in this story in Genesis chapter 22, we see as the sacrifice was about to be made, God said, stop. I see you were willing. And God provided the lamb. When Jesus was being taken to that cross, the father never said stop. The father allowed him to be beaten. The father allowed him to be whipped. The father allowed him to be cursed at. The father allowed him to be nailed there. The father allowed him to be pierced with a spear. The father allowed him to die. In the Old Testament in Genesis 22, we see that God provided the ram and and Abraham said the Lord will provide. In the New Testament, we see that God provided the lamb. The Lord did provide. And that lamb was none other than Jesus himself. And so when we look at Genesis 22, we see this picture of this unique son who lived an obedient life, obedient even to the point of death, and paid for our sins on Calvary's cross. An example of piety, a, a picture of Jesus. But, but what I want us to end with is, is this ancient story that tells the Christmas story. It's found in verses 17 and 18. Listen to what it says. When, when Abraham was willing to go through this sacrifice, this is what God said to him. He said, I will surely bless you. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now notice that word offspring. Because this is the important word in this passage. And through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In Genesis 12, when we hear the story of Abraham, we see that through Abraham's offspring, the nations will be blessed. The, the people of the earth will be blessed. But the word offspring there is in the plural. And yet here, when we look at this word in Genesis chapter 8, 22, chapter 18, the Hebrew word is Zerah, and it's not in the plural, it's in the singular. God is saying, Abraham, I want you to know that through your offspring, singular, through one child, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, who was this child? 
Most likely people who were reading this early on would have thought that perhaps this child was Isaac. Isaac was this child that would be a blessing to the nations. And yet, that's not what the Word of God teaches. And see, as we look at Scripture, we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And I want you to listen to what Paul said in Galatians 3, verse 16. He said, the promises were not spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Or excuse me, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. You see, from the very beginning of time, God had a plan that through Abraham's seed, Jesus Christ, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God has always had a redemptive plan for the people of the world. God's desire has always been that the people of the world, the entire world, would know him. Abraham was blessed so that he would be a blessing. So that he would share the news of the one true God with the peoples of the world. Israel was blessed so that they could be a blessing to the nations of the world. So that all the peoples of the world could know the one true God. In Psalm 67 verse 2 it says, So that the whole world may know your will. So that all nations may know your salvation. Isaiah 49 6, And I will make you a light to the Gentile, Gentiles. And you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And then we get into the New Testament. And every single Every single example of the Great Commission that we read lets us know that that God's saving grace is to the entire world. Matthew 28, go into all nations. Mark 16, go into the world and preach to everyone. Luke 24, the forgiveness of sins will be preached unto every nation. Acts 1.8, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Understand, God has always longed for the world. God has always loved the world. And he chose Abraham not just to pour his blessings out on him. He chose Abraham so that Abraham could be a blessing to the nations. He chose Israel so that Israel could be a blessing to the nations. And if you are a Christ follower here today, he has chosen you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. God's desire is for you to take part in his redemptive plan. And so as we finish up 2015, the very last Sunday of the year, and we prepare to move into 2016, since we know what God's desire is, since we know that God's plan from the very beginning has been that the world will know him, 
we need to ask ourselves, what are we going to do so that the world can know it? What are we going to give? Where are we going to go? How bold are we willing to share? And it's not just places like Saudi Arabia and Afghanistan and Pakistan. It's places like Ontario, Canada, where there is one evangelical church for every 244,000 people. It's places like the state of Ohio, where there is one evangelical church for every 54,000 people. You see, we live in the Bible Belt, where, where there's churches on every street corner. And yet we don't realize that even in our own nation, there are people that don't have access to the Word of God being proclaimed on a weekly basis. We don't have people that have access to to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we cross our border into Canada, we see those numbers increasing exponentially. So what are we going to do? Well, we as a church, we're going to be committed to planting churches. We're going to be committed to sending missionaries. We're going to be committed to sacrificially giving. But understand, we are the church. The church isn't some building, some organization located on Sunset Boulevard. We are the church. And so if we're going to partner with God in the redemptive plan of the world and we're going to plant churches around North America and around, uh, around the world and if we're going to send missionaries to unengaged people, then that means that you and I are going to have to be willing to hear the call of God. The call that may say, I want you to go. The call that may say, I want your children to go. The call that may say, I want you to sacrificially give. The call that may say, I want you to go on mission trips. But as we end 2015, and we prepare for 2016, we've got to ask ourselves, what are we willing to do to partner with God? Would you bow your head and pray with me? Father God Almighty, I thank you so much that you cared enough to send your son to earth. Father, I pray that we will never be complacent when it comes to the good news of the gospel. Burden us for the people of the world. Give us your heart for the lost, I pray in Jesus' name.